3: Step up and need change, change No one can change.
4: Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach.
0: Welcome, welcome folks to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, call screener,
5: Chris Morales. Yes, indeed.
0: 646-564-9909 is the number. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call and speak to us. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our show website. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also listen to the show via the call in line if that's your only means, by all means. Make it happen. Make it happen.
5: All right, recap. All right. Two week recap. You got anything for the recap?
0: Uh, we're about uh, four weeks away from the NFL draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all looking Every, forward everyone, to that. Everyone's counting down the days on the calendar and and uh, cursing at Roger Goodell, wondering why he's
5: You want at number four? That's where you guys are picking, right? Number four, number five.
0: Yeah, without a dynamic trade that can land them
5: like number 17 in a second round pick or something?
0: No, they're at number four. So, unless, well, word on the street is they can pick Joey Bosa, the defensive end from Ohio State, at number four. And if they want, pick number 34, still get. Heisman Trophy running back Derrick Henry, but not Ezekiel Elliott, who they believe is the best running back
5: coming out. Okay, yeah. Are, now, are you a fan of the flashy pick, not the the running? So the running back or the, I guess defensive end, outside linebacker is not a flashy pick. But do you like to see the receiver, the running back, or are you a fan of the? Who's this offensive guard I've never heard of, but someone who is going oh, to anchor if, your line? If for... that
0: offensive tackle drops to number four, they'll take him.
5: You want in on that.
0: And then they'll have in place the most elite line for the next 10 years, Mm-hmm. barring injury, of course. Right,
5: injury, yeah. Yeah, I've always, as an immature fan, I always wanted to see the speedy wide receiver, the flashy running back, And then there was the year Harbaugh came into the picture, and we had two picks in the first round and picked a guard and a tackle Mm -hmm. that no one had ever heard of. And sure enough, for the next four years, had the most dominant running game in the NFL. So I like the uglies, man. Mm -hmm. If if they're out there, you got to get them.
0: Well, you see now uh, the the difference between the Cowboys taking Zach Martin versus Johnny Manziel.
5: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: They got an all-pro in one, and one is in all idiot
5: and all rehab there you go <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah true we're, we're
5: there for you johnny that's right if you need to check in the bay area is here for you ocg ocg great yeah well I, for us i don't think there's going to be much value at seven i mean they're all talking about if jared goff slips to number seven the last time we skipped on the cow the hometown kid aaron Rodgers. we all see what he's doing now but uh there's not – we're not going to win this year. And so I'm down with kind of the philosophy they've had in the past where you trade back six or seven spots if someone really wants whoever's at that spot and acquires some more late-round picks because you need a build. Need, I
0: read this morning You're about, not a piece about away. the Cowboys looking to trade back to the, the Niners to seven, <laughs>
5: the
0: seven uh, and picking up an additional second.
5: Oh, yeah? And then so the Niners going in the, the number four, the four spot? Yeah. That would be so stupid if that happened. I'd be upset. I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it doesn't go down that way. Nope. But, you know,
0: all of this talk will heat up as we get closer. When is the actual uh, draft? Is it, uh, what is it, April? I think it's the 28th. 28, 29th. Yep, Thursday the 28th. Yeah. It used to be, wasn't it like the first week of April? Back in, you know, two years ago? Before they moved it to the end of April.
5: Yeah, it used to be. Uh-huh.
0: So we'd be talking about it this uh,
5: this coming Saturday. Exactly. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, so Goodell has just filled that, that empty hole that was the month of April after the draft mm-hmm. with, okay, there's more talk about it. It's like training camp and OTAs mm-hmm. right after. So he's trying to stretch the NFL year-round, around the clock. You heard about the changing of the rules, by the way, if we're going to touch on the NFL real quick. Go ahead. The chop block. I agree with that. Yep. So they said, and, and I agree too, first rule change in a long time that has favored the defense. Yeah. Most of the rule changes have favored the offense to so this point. Just
0: so our listeners who don't give a rat's ass know what we're talking about, the chop block is if I'm holding you up trying to tackle you and my teammate comes and takes your legs out from underneath you from behind.
5: That would be like if I were rushing the quarterback and Orville had to block me. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, I probably have about 150 pounds on Orville, so he couldn't hold up that long. Right. He's got his running back coming to chop my knees out while
6: Take his knees out.
5: Well, he's trying to take, and many, many linemen have, um, yeah, blown out knees yeah. and, serious, and injuries. serious injuries as a result. So yeah. it's a, it's still a safety rule, but favoring the defense this time instead of instead
0: of the offense. And there was an unspoken thing amongst the linemen: don't do that. because yeah. Whenever you saw that happen, they came up ready to fight.
5: Right, because you you're taking food off my family's table and everything yeah. else. Right.
0: So what was the other rule?
5: There were a couple. They still haven't figured out the catch. But go ahead. They still haven't figured out the catch. Um, oh, the uh, if you are flagged for two personal oh, fouls yeah, or whatever, you're ejected.
0: It to me, that was a waste of time. the The referee has the power to reject someone right now, right
5: off the bat. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So anyway, so
0: they weren't helpless little babies. They just they just didn't use the power that they had. Right. So,
5: so I don't see that having uh, I don't see that changing all that much But Alright Moving right along Let's get to our topic Speaking of Johnny Manziel <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the topic my friend Guilt Kill kills That's it Number 7 of the Elite 8
0: It's a big one As I wrote in my topic description It means different things to different people it's often viewed through a religious and cultural lens. I say that because when I was at Swan Lake, we had a young lady who was uh, visiting from Thailand um, and participating in the treatment program, simultaneously learning the treatment program to take it back home to Thailand. And, it, I think I've told this story before, but it wasn't until like three or four months we realized that when we were talking about guilt, she had no idea what we were talking about. Honestly didn't know. We thought she was just like playing playing dumb. Okay. Come to find out, there is no equivalent word in the Thailand language for the word guilt. Yeah. So she had no clue.
5: Total cultural yeah. separation. Yeah, she right had no clue as to what we were talking about.
0: So we, we figured out a way to explain, obviously, what we what we meant, and said, N- "Now drop your guilt."
5: <laughs> <laughs> now it's time. Now that you get it.
0: Um, sure. But one of the reason the reason I wanted to, uh, I thought this was an important topic to do, because people can go through their whole treatment experience, at least in the TC, where you you hear the word guilt a lot in various uh, manner uh, manners um, used and I don't think it's explained to each group exactly what we actually mean versus the surface of what is talked about and spread amongst the family and so on through rumor, innuendo and whatever else they decide to make up so um, and it's very important that people understand what is actually meant by, you know, one of the unwritten philosophies saying, you know, guilt kills. Um, Some have always thought through the years that this had something to do with Catholicism because, you know, the Monsignor.
5: Sure, sure.
0: And it it absolutely, like nothing else, had anything to do. All right. I'll grant one thing, one thing that had the Catholic touch to it. And that was the term cardinal rules.
5: Oh, there you go. Okay,
0: I'll give them that one. But I can't think of anything else that really had any connection to the Catholic religion, church, or what have
5: you. No, and for what it's worth, they're still referred to as the cardinal rules today, yeah. and I doubt that 90% of the people... Make any religious connection. Make any connection, yeah, yeah or, or see any correlation between the two. For, for those of you who don't know when... Whenever we get a new intake into the program, we we welcome them with a panel to kind kind of set the ground rules, give them some basic information. The cardinal rules are always gone over. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone who sits in that room as a new intake thinks, "Oh man, I'm I'm about to face the Catholic Church." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're
0: gonna have to change it to the uh, the card the the commandments.
5: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right exactly.
0: Um. <clears throat> so. In the therapeutic community, when we say, drop your guilt, what do we mean? When we say guilt kills, what do we mean? Why do we say it? And why do we say not ridding oneself of guilt is a surefire way to step on the road to relapse? So what is guilt? Let's start first with the simple and the obvious explanation. You come into the program the program gives you a orientation packet which consists of 7500 rules that you must learn and follow throughout your stay right and if you willfully violate any of them that's called acquiring guilt okay if you unknowingly violate any of them that's called acquiring, acquiring guilt, guilt. <laughs> it's not a fair justice system in the TC and it's set up Purposely that way. Um, So in one sense, guilt is called, you know, any knowing or unknowing violation of the rules. Okay. So if you've done that, you've acquired guilt. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so in the old days, they would tell someone to drop your guilt. Well, I don't have any guilt. Well, did you violate anything? You know, did you leave a dust ball on the corner of the bathroom underneath the toilet, you know, behind the, uh, the plunger?
5: Right. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Well, you know what? There's one there that you got guilt.
5: Yeah, if you don't know, then you got guilt. (laughs) There you go. So that's like, you
0: know, the the bare bones basic definition that everyone kind of learns and and, and takes with them throughout the program until we get into the actual real, real deal meaning. And what that or as I have taught, is yes, you know, following the rules are important because you're gonna to have to learn how to follow the laws and rules and regulations of society. So we're practicing doing that here. You obviously didn't do that out there. Most of our clients come out of the criminal justice system, so it's pretty obvious that they weren't good at following rules. Um, but that's the that's the obvious. The less obvious is when you leave a program. There, you don't when you when you walk out the door. They don't hand you uh, a, a societal orientation book with the rules and norms of society that you must abide by. So what we say is that the purpose of All of the rules that we have, and some of them to an outsider would make no sense, but there's a method to the madness. What we say is what we're trying to help you do is establish your own internal standard that you're going to live by when you transition into the next phase of your recovery experience. Because no one's going to be out there watching you. No one's going to be out there uh, booking you for violating rules and, and speaking to you about the rules that you violate and so on and so forth. You're going to have to do this on your own for yourself. And so we're trying to start that process of, in, of developing an internal standard. You can call it an internal moral standard if you want. Um, and each person has to develop their own standards. Now, all of us collectively might have similar standards that we develop just by virtue of being in the same environment, but as you move out into your own individual environments, you have to have standards that you're going to live by in your own environments that you're going to eventually uh, move out to. And that ultimately is what we're talking about when we say guilt kills. So if you develop a standard of living that you're going to abide by, you're going to follow the laws of society, you're going to treat people a certain way, you're going to do certain things, there are certain things you're not going to accept. That's a biggie for our recovery compatriots. Yeah. Okay. Certain things I'm not going to accept. That's right. In, in in my inner environment, in my inner circle that I have control over, I'm not going to accept certain things. So you, you establish that as a standard. And what we hope is, is that when either you or someone else violates that standard, that you respond accordingly
1: Mm -hmm.
0: to make, make or take corrective action. So if you yourself do something that you know is wrong, that it should trigger in you—my hands are in quotations—guilty feelings of, hey, you know what? I know that's not the right thing to do. I know that wasn't the right thing to say. I know that wasn't the right decision. Okay, and you take corrective action. Okay, so that's kind of really the the root concept of this guilt thing that we have follow me
5: yeah absolutely and i and uh, um kind of to add on to that and similar to points that you were making the idea that before you came here potentially you know you're in your addiction or you struggle or whatever it may be that either you feel guilty for things that you've done or things that you're doing and you suppress it so much so that you never allow it to actually be a part of your day-to-day function. Mm-hmm. Um, or you are so lost in whatever it is you're lost in that the guilt mechanism has managed to be shut off. Yep. And the mind actually kind of does that as a way to protect itself because of the things you're doing day-to-day. Yep. And although a lot of people, a lot of clients entering treatments we'll see it as a TC or a treatment-type tool, drop mm-hmm. your guilt, the guilt,
3: mm-hmm.
5: um, that the connection to actually what kind of keeps you doing the right thing, speaking of like cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. and making sure your morals and things are aligned with what you're actually doing, that this is very much a real-life mechanism that we are trying to instill in you mm-hmm. that takes you back and takes a lot of people back before they began using in the first place. right? That first or second time where that mechanism was strong. you right. Boy, I really don't think I should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you're making all sorts of, your mind is flooded with thoughts and justifications and rationalizations. And that's when it was strong. Mm-hmm. And like many folks know who then eventually became addicts, that feeling vanished or Mm -hmm. or went away over a long enough period of time where you just had to disregard it
3: Mm -hmm.
5: Um, the reigniting of that fire or resetting of that switch so to speak um, transcends treatment and something that we're trying to get people to take into the real world as they leave like hey the difference between right and wrong and i know i should make this decision because a b and c and let me not ignore that maybe Mm -hmm. like i was before but acknowledge it and I need to do something else.
0: You mentioned right and wrong. Every now and then we get a smart aleck who comes in and says, well, I mean, what if I just truly, honestly don't feel guilty about not refilling the paper towel dispenser in the bathroom and, or right. not violating this rule or that rule? Well, we ask the question, okay, maybe you don't feel guilty Mm -hmm. about that but is it right or wrong for you to do or not do and if the feeling isn't triggered as you noted then the brain has to come into play and make a determination whether or not is this the right thing or the wrong thing for me to do
5: right so
0: both both sides are covered because you always will get the smart alex who talks about how they feel (laughs) <laughs> okay, and we want them to talk about it right you know, but of course they'll, they'll try and use that well i don't feel guilty about it, so why should I have to worry about it? Well, okay, you may not feel guilty right okay you I mean example, you may be in the middle of an argument with someone and you and you you say things you shouldn't say, and you know in the moment you don't feel guilty about it, and maybe even afterwards you don't feel guilty about it the question was it the right thing to do
5: mm-hmm. was
0: it the right thing was it right to say the things that you said so we're just speaking intellectually now um and so you can respond either to your feelings or you can respond to your brain, your intellect. One or the other is going to try and cor- correct you and, 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 and get you funneled into this proper right. lane. Right. So even if the uh, the feelings aspect has been shut down,
5: mm-hmm.
0: which for a lot of our folks it is, um. We try and appeal to their intellect until the feelings come back. So the intellect is, okay, this is a rule. I got to obey the rule. And then do you have the discipline and the self-control to obey the rule? Yes or no. Right. Um, And if you don't obey the rule, do you have the ability to, to acknowledge that, hey, I violated the rule? Yeah. Okay. So it's like baby steps trying to recreate the the mechanism that's required in order to save your life yeah when you hit the streets again so um when they shriek out the term guilt kills that's why i put it in capitals because every time we hear it it's it's you know it's it's up. (laughs) guilt kills um it has to be explained to people well what do we you know what do we mean by that we don't Mean it literally that um, you know if you have guilt that uh the result of that is that you know you'll be you'll be passing away within the next forty eight hours no, we don't mean that um, What we do mean though when we say guilt kills is that if you live your your life in such a way that you are doing things that violate your internal standards that you have set we didn't no one has put them upon you you have said and even have a code
3: mhm
0: you know what i'm saying oh yeah even what's what's that saying you know honor among thieves
5: right right right, right. even
0: they have they they have a code that they live by okay even if uh, us we can look at the code and say you know that's craziness okay <laughs> right. but they had their code and so even in the most uh you know, wrong circumstances, a person can still have a mechanism to say, OK, I'm not going there, even though the place where they are, we might look at it and say, pal, you are already there. But they're there is way even past
5: yeah. there. Okay, yeah.
0: um, So everyone has this mechanism. It's just whether or not does your mechanism tie into what is acceptable to society. We don't know the answer to that, so we try and start. Well, what's acceptable to our little small little society here in the program? Sure. Okay. So you know, we give you a little packet. you know tells you the 750 rules that we got, and we ask you to you know obey them, respect them, and so on and so forth, and be responsible with for yourself if you if you knowingly uh, violate them, etc. To kickstart that mechanism again. Yeah. Okay. Because we know a one month, two month, sometimes a three month member, do they really feel guilty about not sweeping their, you know, doing their room responsibilities? No, they don't feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, But by nine months of treatment exposure, we want them to be able to understand and, and, and have the aha moment, the light bulb going off. I understand now what, You mean and why it was important for me to do those room responsibilities, and if I didn't do them, hold myself accountable or be held accountable so I can build that internal standard for myself. Right. Now, for myself, when I leave – you know, it may not be making my bed every single day because my life circumstances may interfere with that, but there may be a larger standard that I have to ensure that I stay on my recovery path. You know I what I'm agree.
5: saying? <clears throat> I agree. I think it's a valuable tool um, as a counselor that a counselor can use to take it to that level, to generalize it, mm-hmm. because I can sit in front of a group of clients from one week members to nine month members and state relatively confidently. I don't necessarily expect anyone in this room to feel guilty that they walked over the candy wrapper in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And when you're being stood up in morning meeting and spoken to about it and your awareness and how this can lead to relapse and we're, we're blowing up the picture here. blow it up. Um, but that, that, that is the key is to get you to learn, okay, so don't look at the situation specifically but the mentality behind the situation, right. which is what you spoke to, which is to say as a human being on a day-to-day basis, we live in a world or a country or a state or a city that is bound by some sort of confines, some sort of rules,
3: mm-hmm.
5: and we can either live doing what we know is right – or make a decision to not follow what is right. And even though the consequence itself, walking over a candy wrapper, may not be that substantial, mm-hmm. you still have to go to bed at night knowing you made a conscious choice to do something other than what you know you should have done. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that you will live with, that you will sleep with, that you will wake up with. And so. Well, we. We blow it
0: up to the point that we make sure that you're sleeping, you're dreaming about it, you're having nightmares about that little wrapper in the corner of the uh, the the hallway.
5: Right, exactly. (laughs) And it's like if you want to rest your head at night, knowing, hey, you know what? I got through a day. I gave it my all, and I did Mm -hmm. what was right. That that's the payoff. Mm -hmm. Not so much, you know, the person behind you's going to pick up the candy wrapper. Mm -hmm. No one's going to die off the candy wrapper. But instilling in you the importance of taking some sort of self-pride and gratification in the idea that you're doing your best to do what's right day in and day out, and, and that'll lead you to success. Ultimately, yeah,
0: At some point, at some point, and, and it's each person, that point is different. So as, as counselors, we have to be able to see and read when is that point that we, we start to make that connection at some point we have to explain to them, it's really not about the wrapper. Right. It's not about the toilet paper. It's not about the fork or the spoon.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's really about what, what's the attitude behind you saying, I'm not picking it up. Right. What's the attitude behind the behavior? And it's that attitude, if you apply it to larger things in life that have larger consequences, okay, right. is what we're trying to get you to see. So that's why we blow up the little wrapper. Because that's all we have We, You know, we, we have to kind of create yeah, that's what we're given to work with, right Yeah, we have to create our own uh, um, Little Like scenarios Scenarios, so our little, uh, you know, trip ups So to speak And then create, uh, blow them up As big as we can possibly Blow them up, you know, to the point of Ridiculousness, okay mm-hmm. And uh, Because, you know, addicts You know don't see things until they're in you know like 64x zoom okay <laughs> so we, that's how we right. we got to blow it up and then be able to explain to you know ex- connect a- into their mind to get them to understand the connection between why the, you walking past that wrapper knowing that when we're, we're not allowed to have garbage on the floor of any kind dirt Dust anything, and that if you see it, you got to take care of it. So, you seeing it, acknowledging to yourself, oh, there's a rapper there, and just keep on stepping, (laughs) (laughs) right, is a problem. And the problem is not that the rapper is going to have this major consequential effect on your life, but the attitude that you displayed at that specific moment when you said, hmm, I'm not doing anything about that, and just kept on stepping, that's the problem.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, it's funny, I've given seminars on that exactly, mm-hmm. that exact thing, that at the end of the day we're looking at the the mentality or the attitude behind that process
3: mm-hmm.
5: that you can throw the snowball effect at them or whatever, but it's bringing them back to that moment where, okay, we can freeze that picture. Now forget about the candy wrapper. Mm-hmm. Something happened in that moment that you saw that wasn't right, that needed to be fixed, and you chose to do nothing about it, so on some level, you had to make it insignificant, not important, you didn't care enough to fix it, Mm -hmm. and what do we know about what we were talking about 20 minutes ago in the show the first time you ever got high Mm -hmm. and how extreme that feeling was against, you know, everything I've heard since kindergarten and dare and just say no. And Mm -hmm. my parents and everything comes into the picture at that moment that you have to disregard, which is incredibly challenging typically for the first time, Mm -hmm. but gets easier and easier and easier. The more you do it, Mm -hmm. that this is the same kind of thing here. Now, Maybe, you, maybe this is the 10th time you've stepped over the candy wrapper, so this particular time it wasn't all that hard because mm-hmm. you do it all the time. Mm-hmm. If it's the first time, maybe it's surprising you that you even paused to think about, oh, damn, there's a candy wrapper. I should probably <laughs> pick it up because normally you wouldn't care about that. Right. But that brings us to that mindset that we're trying to instill in you and that go ahead and ignore that once and 2 weeks from now it's going to be a little easier to ignore mm-hmm. and then a little and before you know it you don't even notice it anymore
0: before you know it guys just smoking crack in your house <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah. right and so it's that that conditioning of your own mind to accept something time and time again that you know you shouldn't to the point where that mechanism no longer exists and it's that kind of strength and conditioning of the mind and reinforcing doing the right thing mm-hmm. versus the wrong thing that can very easily relate to I always in my seminars I related to boundaries right okay um you know maybe you're not okay you know you're fresh out of recovery you're not okay with hanging out at mm-hmm. bars You'll hang out with maybe some friends who drink socially or whatever, but you're not okay hanging out in that setting. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll hang out with them outside of that setting or you're going out to dinner with your friends and whatever.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: And then for what, maybe the football game is on in the bar and they invite you in, you know, you know, but they've already ordered you a soda, nothing alcoholic. Now you're in the bar that you weren't okay with being in. Right. And then it's like, well,. We're not going to drink around you. We'll just watch the game, and we've already had our drinks or whatever. And then a month from now, you're in the bar watching the game, and there's drinks on the table. And you get the point. It goes and goes and goes Mm -hmm. because you've allowed yourself mentally to get so used to ignoring that very first mechanism. You've accepted it. That before you know it, boy, you are so far past that original line um, that you're in a dangerous or a compromising situation. Right. And this is what the candy wrapper, like you said, represents because we don't have the bar with the right. old friends where we can, you know, see how you feel. Mm-hmm. As no, this is a very controlled environment. So we need to use what is at our disposal, and and that's kind of how I related to them as well.
0: Would that be considered ground groundbreaking treatment if we had a replica bar and a re- replica <laughs> a replica drug hey, spot hey, in,
5: in the program I think,
0: to trigger people and then deal with the triggers?
5: Yeah, like yeah, the, the makeshift, like a, like a stage set up, mm-hmm. and like, okay, this is a very proactive, interactive type of group. It's groundbreaking – I think we probably shouldn't even talk about it on the air anymore and maybe have this discussion afterwards. Oh, okay. All right.
0: So that's one side of the guilt kills mechanism, which is just to re, you know, rehash, to, to build within ourselves that internal standard that we're going to then live under. As we move through the recovery process, the other side of the guilt kills, which doesn't get spoken about a lot, has to do with the actual the actual feelings of guilt behind life experiences, things that either we have experienced uh, in our lives or things we have done in our lives that we actually feel guilty about that we don't reconcile. We don't resolve. We don't accept. Um, we don't do whatever the work is necessary to come to terms with that so that that guilt no longer impacts us, impacts our life, impacts our decision-making on a daily basis. So it can be as, my hands are in quotes again, benign as feeling guilty about, you know, ending up as an addict, you know, and being yeah, mad sure. at yourself and, you know, and then the, the consequences thereof, what it may have done to your family, how it may have affected your parents and your siblings and so on and so forth, you know, um, and if you have children, you know, what it may have done to them or how it have made them feel. So all these things that create feelings of guilt that are very important for people to address, bring to the fore while they're in the treatment environment and uh, resolve. Now, you know, that aspect of the guilt kills is, like I said, is often overlooked because the, the physical aspect that we were talking about earlier, we manifest that. We create that. You know, the program does through the mm-hmm. physical environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other side requires the addict to do something. Because we, we obviously can't we – don't, we don't know what's within you unless you share it. Right. Okay? We don't know what you may feel guilty about in, within your life unless you tell us what that is. And, of course, we try and create the environment for people to feel comfortable doing that by letting them know that, look, the, the other 32 people sitting in this room, trust me, you know, at least three quarters of them are going to be able to identify with whatever it is that comes out of your mouth. Right. Okay. Um, But we can't stress or overstress enough how important it is that it must come out of your mouth. It must be shared. It must come forth. It must be purged from you so that it can be looked at, evaluated, so on and so forth. I used to ask in seminar fashion, when people would talk about feeling guilty about, you know, some of the consequences of uh, of ending up an addict, and, I, and, I, and they might be talking about certain things that they may have done, uh, family related, and I would ask them, I said, let me ask you a question: If would you have done that or said that if you were not under the influence of drugs or alcohol? And if the answer is honestly no, then let's move to the next question. Why are you punishing yourself? What's that about? Why are you holding on to that guilt? That's usually a difficult question to answer. Because one thing about addicts, is they're very self-destructive. And if they can hold on to something that's destructive feelings-wise, they'll hold on to it for dear life. (laughs) Okay? True. So we have to pry, pry it loose, get out our pliers and vice grips and and whatever other tools we have to use, and and, and pry it out of their hands um, and somehow show through you know, using various examples that if we don't resolve this, if we don't get past this, if we don't let this go, this is going to be the end result. And then guess what? That term guilt kills it's gonna happen becomes real. <laughs> right. Okay. So there's the physical aspect of guilt kills creating the physical manifestations for people to work on the internal standards. And then there's the emotional and the mental aspect of guilt kills. And the emotional mental aspect is much harder uh, for the addict themselves, much harder for the counselor to uh, dig into. Um, But we got to dig because if we know That there are issues there that are creating these feelings of guilt. They must be dealt with. Mm-hmm. You cannot leave. You cannot leave with these things unresolved. Um, it is a recipe for, as I wrote, I said, you know, it, if not, you know, ridding, not ridding oneself of guilt is a surefire way to step on the road to relapse. And and I'm speaking to both manifestations, the physical manifestation that we create and you learn from and the emotional and the mental manifestation. Mm -hmm. And so people get eventually they get the physical aspect and, and, you know, how that works, the the mechanical part of that. Um, But boy, the emotional and the mental part is a totally different story. Totally different story.
5: Much more difficult to work with.
0: We have to puncture that fear, it's rooted in fear. What's going to happen if I I give this up? What's going to happen if I um, share it, even just bring it forth and, and share it uh, with my counselor, with my peer, with my with my my roommates? Um, <clears throat> well, I can tell you what's
5: going to happen if you don't. Yeah, we know the answer to that We don't know what will happen if you do We have our guesses, we got a baseline for it But we know for sure what will happen if you keep it to yourself Well, I, I can say ultimately, ultimately Long
0: term, or maybe even medium term That if it comes forth You're going to feel better You're going to feel better and the feeling of the guilty feelings you have will subside and eventually dissipate because you'll you'll gain an intellectual understanding of where it came from, how it came into being, why I'm still feeling it or holding it, you know, either emotionally, mentally, or, or maybe I'm just holding it intellectually. I don't know. Okay. But you'll start to get an understanding of that and then the process of how do I rid myself of that. Mm-hmm. Then it comes down to the all-important, wait a second now, so you've given me the outline. You've you've told me how I need to look at it, how I need to analyze it, how I need to drill down on it, all the steps I need to take, and then ultimately what I'm then left with at the end is the decision of do I want to do it. And that's where we, the counselor, and the client, the added client, drop off and separate, right? Because we can't put you in can't a headlock. Yeah, we yeah. can't put you in a headlock. Can't do it for you, right? Can't put you in the figure four leg lock or uh, any other WWE moves, and you know, and, and and make it happen.
5: Yeah, true. And even and I'll go just a tiny step further. Hypothetically, even if we could, at that point, <laughs> it it wouldn't be productive. No. Because you have to, you have to go off the high dive yourself. Yeah, um, that that is a process in and of itself. Learning how to trust, learning how to burble, learning mm-hmm. how to um, take a, take a risk, take a step for yourself. That you know this might be hard, but it's for the better. Because um, these are all things that you need to learn and carry with you moving forward, anyway. And. Ultimately, ultimately, ultimately,
0: that is really what's behind the saying of drop your guilt. It's not really the drop your guilt of the rules you violated and the dust balls you didn't pick up. (laughs) That we don't really care about. (laughs) That we ultimately really don't care about. It's important for the physical environment, of course, but for you, the individual, you, the addict, it's the stuff that, impacts your mental and emotional well-being, okay, that we care about. We care about you understanding the mechanics, the physical mechanics that we talked about in the first half. We care about that That's because they both got to come together. But... If the first half is present, and I understand that I got that, you know, I got I to develop my own standards and stick to them and, 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 and not let anyone puncture them and, and not accept negative stuff around me. I got that. But what's going on inside of you emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, regarding guilt and feelings of guilt? So it's a two-sided thing here that we have. Kills. Now, when we speak about it emotionally and mentally, and we say guilt kills, we actually do mean it literally and figuratively because guilt brings about what? Stress, unnecessary stress. Um, it's almost like being stuck at the second stage of, 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 of grieving something and you can grieve anything. You can grieve a human being. You can grieve a job. You can grieve a team, you know, a sports team. You can, I mean, you can literally grieve anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you can grieve your lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's almost like being stuck at that stage of the grieving process and not being able to or choosing not to um dig into it so that you can progress, you know, past it. Mm-hmm. And as a counselor, that's probably the biggest challenge is when you know that there's a blockage there, when you know that there, you know, there's there are issues there, um and now you have to figure out a way to uh get the client to believe and as you stated earlier trust Mm. that sharing it talking about it analyzing it and coming to a conclusion of what we need to do to resolve it accept it or move past it um requires something from that client as a matter of fact what it requires is uh uh, was this part of one of our Elite Eight, or uh, was it part of our? Uh, since we're in March Madness, we can might as well say we can't the call Elite it the Eight.
5: Final Four,
0: right. but it was uh, the initial. Um, uh, what did we? What did we call it? The first four that we, uh, uh, the Core Four. The Core Four. The Core Four. Uh, I believe no free lunch, or was that part of the Elite Eight? I think it was part
5: of the Elite Eight. Okay,
0: no free lunch comes into play. That in order to um, get underneath those guilty feelings, you got to be willing to challenge that fear. Mm-hmm. you gotta be willing to, you got to be willing to trust, as you stated. you got to be willing to be vulnerable, as you stated. And without being willing to do that, um, it's not going to happen. Right. So what kind of wrestling moves can we come up with uh, when people are stuck? and don't want to don't want to share don't want to uh come forth um i'm old school you know early 80s wrestling so i'm like you know Chief oh, jay know. strongbow bobby Backlund, you know <laughs> you know junkyard dog
5: and you're Andre talking the my wife's language right now she <laughs> was into wrestling from a little she could probably tell you where each one of those wrestlers was born and when they first hit the scene uh her favorite was the undertaker so he did the tombstone oh the tombstone so maybe you could, hey guilt <laughs> kills huh that's a, that's an appropriate one for this one the tombstone mm-hmm. uh i don't know the frog splash i've heard of that one
0: bobby Backlund in the figure four or that no greg valentine in the figure four leg lock uh so you know we we have to come up with something and 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 these can all be uh uh verbal jiu that we used uh, because I would say, just me personally, as 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 a counselor, there's nothing more frustrating than someone moving through the process, and you know, picture them being on a uh, assembly line, and they're moving through and past you, and you're not able to influence. Uh, a certain thing that you know needs to be influenced so that they can continue to heal as they move through the process. And then you see them as they're being packaged up and put out and getting ready to leave knowing that this has not been touched on touched or addressed on, dealt or with, yeah. delved into, et cetera. And so you kind of know the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's very hard to get people to, to make the connection. For the addicts to make the connection to that, wow! If I don't resolve this, these guilty feelings, that going to mean this. They talk about other feelings, true, but I don't know if they talk so much about guilt. Different from the
5: yellow pad guilt, right? In right, the program, right, right. yeah. No, we're talking like, about you know, guilt th- that you've carried into. The program from some sort of you know manifestation of things that have happened your, your in your life, life experiences right mm-hmm. exactly yeah and they are although related mentally how you feel about them through and through are two different two different things
6: yeah
5: yeah we get a lot of um which is kind of new for me as a counselor in the field working with adults um that guilt is far more prevalent than it was with the adolescents, yeah adolescents haven 't really lived long enough to feel truly guilty about <laughs> something yet, um you know, maybe minor things stealing from their parents, whatever, little things that you can tap into mm-hmm. and blow up, uh but no, I mean, with the adults, you get a lot of them disclosing feelings about you know how they feel about being kind of absentee parents or mm-hmm. things they put in things that a human being would truly carry that kind of deep level guilt about mm-hmm. um and while we're trying to tap into similar mechanisms with the with the candy wrapper mm-hmm. those things are going to carry different meanings and yeah. different weight and that's big to deal with that too mm-hmm. because if you leave without ever really having delved into you know how do you feel that you put your kids through this or your husband through this mm-hmm. or Whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. something that's a little heavier and a little more major, and you go out there with that being unresolved, Mm -hmm. you can bank on there being difficulties down the road because that feeling is probably, if not a major contributor, a contributor on some level to why you were making the decisions that you were making.
0: You also won't be able to repair the relationships. True. Because yeah. You,
5: until you cross that first
0: hurdle. Yeah, you got to come. You got to come to
5: a point of forgiveness.
0: Yeah, you got to to yeah,
5: yourself. Exactly. And,
0: There's a process you have to go through so that when you come to the door to reestablish this relationship, repair the relationship that you have uh, dealt with your own personal feelings of guilt that you have. Um, so in the end, they're not going to be projected. Mm-hmm. onto the family member or whomever or whatever right. that may be at the source of of the guilty feelings so guilt kills number 7 of the elite 8 of one of our unwritten philosophies of not only treatment
5: but life very true very true i think it was well 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 stated well wrapped up. Yep. So that's it, huh? You're yep. spent. You fired the gun on this one. Yep. It's out there for people to for people to listen to now. Um, you want to just take a a quick break and come back and wrap it up, or we just totally done and ready to go to the other side? I'm ready. We're at the top of the hour. We can uh, take our music break and then come back. Okay. Great. So we do see that we have some folks on hold who are calling in to speak to the host during our Recovery sport Time segment. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show to this point, and thank you for being patient with us. After our little music break here, we will get to you all on the don't, other side. Don't forget the X-Files. we got a lot of X-Files. Absolutely not.
4: up next is ocg radio's recovery support time where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery related questions and issues recovery support time where it's our time to help you
0: Hey, welcome back to Roadshow Recovery. We are now in our recovery support time.
5: Figure we hit you with the extended clip that time oh, okay well your,
0: your <laughs> timing timing was perfect you know it was right boom as soon
5: as I finish it boom <laughs> the clip came on that was it so we're getting there we're getting there
0: uh got some good questions okay
5: good we've accumulated them over some of the weeks off as well yep I imagine why
0: don't I start off with a dramatic question okay dramatic is good is from Danny from San Mateo. What is the absolute proof that addiction is a disease? And if I had believed it, I would forfeit my power to beat addiction I once had over 31 years ago. I beat it because I knew this disease nonsense was hogwash. It has brainwashed many sheep. look to blame everything else including their own nature now the only thing I don't know if that is just a (laughs) declarative (laughs) statement or if there is a question in there so um, I'm guessing the question is what is the absolute proof that addiction is a disease and then the rest is just his uh, commentary
5: yeah sounds semi rhetorical Uh, absolute proof well my friend for starters, uh the only absolute proof of anything in this world is that you are born and you'll die someday. Even gravity has not been absolutely mm-hmm. proven, but
0: I think we have discussed on on this show that uh at least for me, I'm not going to speak for uh Mr. Producer uh that right now Until further notice, the only accepted, empirically accepted um, addiction that's listed as a disease is alcoholism. But everything else is not far behind through study. So it's coming. Now, the question Mr. Danny raises is more an issue of whether or not if someone believes they have a disease does that affect their ability to recover um heal uh hands in quotations cure themselves and move on with their life so it should never be taken that even you know even for an alcoholic okay um I would never allow a client that's an alcoholic to live off of the word disease as a means of a fallback for why they will not succeed in their recovery experience. And I think that's what Danny's getting at, is that if if all of this stuff is just because we have a disease, then it's almost like, well, you know, you know, the disease can be chronic. It can, you know, it can have uh, periods of time when it's in remission and periods of time when it you know, comes out of remission, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Well, on the ground here in the treatment world, we don't really focus on that. What we focus on is what is your attitude, how are you behaving, what are you planning on changing, and what's, what are you, what are, what's your thought process like in terms of getting your life back together? Whether you believe you got a disease or you don't believe you have a disease, we don't give a rat's ass. Makes no difference, ultimately. And so if a person believes they have a disease, we're not going to sit there and argue with them and say you don't. We're going to try and find out, okay, what do you got to do to change your life? No different than if someone walked into the the hospital and the doctor said, oh, you know what, you got diabetes. What are you going to do? change your life so the diabetes doesn't have a a debilitating effect on you on your quality of life what are you going to do so ultimately the question for us doesn't even matter no whether you believe you have a disease or not it doesn't matter to us what we care about is what you're going to do about it ultimately that's right so But we certainly appreciate the provocative question and commentary from (laughs) Dan.
5: Yes, very good
0: indeed. Um, Samantha from Walnut Creek, how can I cope with overwhelming feelings and not act on them in a negative way? Well, that is is the question of the addict, isn't it? (laughs)
5: That is. That's a loaded one. That's the key to Pandora's box right there.
0: For the addict, most feelings are overwhelming, uh, especially if you are in the recovery process and are used to medicating your feelings, um, escaping your feelings, and now you're trying to experience experiencing your feelings without any uh, medication illicit drugs, etc. So, yeah, they will, they will be, they will seem, they will appear, they will feel overwhelming. And the, and the advice will always be the same. You are not going to, figuratively speaking, of course, pass away from a feeling. So the question becomes, can you allow yourself to experience those feelings, whatever they may be, experience them, feel them. As Felix Arroyo used to say, feel what you feel when you feel it. Allow your body to experience it. The body is made to deal with it. You know, like what's the worst, you know, what's the worst possible feeling? I would say like, you know, when, when, like deep grief, right?
5: Yes. Okay.
0: Um, and I mean it conjures up so many different emotions. Well, the body's made to deal with that. You don't need to uh, the assistance of Jack Daniels or Jim Bean. <laughs> right or, or others.: Right. To assist you, the body can deal with it if you allow it. And so when we get people to experience those feelings and they look around like, "Oh wow, you know, I, I, I can handle this. I can." And, and And here's the catch. the most important part: it goes away. It goes away. They never get a chance to experience it going away because we're always too busy medicating it. They realize, oh, wow, it doesn't stay for 17 years. It goes away.
5: Yeah, eventually, right. Well, going through the process, it gets less and less.
0: So you cope with them, Samantha, by experiencing them, number one, and number two, Hope, hopefully, that there, if you know, if you're in the treatment realm or not, that there's others around you that can help uh, analyze them, so that you can understand what it is you're feeling as you are experiencing it. Okay, one more before we hit the phones, Billy Jean, from San Francisco. I've been in recovery for almost 17 months. When is the time to start dating again?
5: All right.
0: One to start dating? No one knows when that time is. Yeah, there's no there's no, no book on it. There's no book. There's no We know there's a lot of uh what's the word? Um I'm going to say sayings, but that's not what I want to say. There's a there's a lot of um, clichés.
5: There's
0: clichés um It'll come to me. Maybe ten o'clock tonight. I'll say,
5: damn it. <laughs> that was the word I was, was, looking, word for. I was looking for. That was gonna sum up my point perfectly. Like, perfectly.
0: Right. But um no, there's no there's no preconceived uh you know, even though I know that they say this in various circles. Wait two years, you know, before you, you know and that may be great advice, but no one knows when you know when true love is going to hit you, right? You know what I'm saying. So, who who is anyone to say if that happens? You know, true love, responsible love, et cetera, If that happens, and the circumstances are right and and whatnot, and you're in a in a space where you can deal with that, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't uh, experience it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. <clears throat> The only thing we we also don't know what this person's circumstance and situation is. You know, like are they in a if they're in a program, then we would say yeah. No.
5: <laughs> you know, right, wait till you get you, out of the program. Right. But if
0: you're you know, if you're out of a program and you know and just moving along in your recovery experience, you know, you might find it's part of the process. The person of of your dreams and online at the DMV, nobody knows.
5: You never know.
0: Okay. All right. We got lots more, but let's go to the phones. Let's see who's been holding the longest. Let's go to Sean from San Mateo. Welcome to the show, Sean.
1: Hey guys, glad to be here. How
0: can we help you, sir?
1: Uh, my question for you folks is: I've got some friends that I've known, you know, about 20 years. Yeah, 25 years old at the moment, and uh, you know, people I've known forever. Just wondering if there's any uh, strategies or techniques you may be able to offer um, in order to maintain these relationships that, uh, you know, that's a negative contract necessarily. But uh, I like to remain friends with these guys while, uh, you know, distancing myself from the drugs but, uh, you know, at the same time maintaining the healthy aspects of these friendships.
0: Certain, now, you uh, say you've been, or advice
1: in, you been advice be able to offer.
0: Now, you said that you you've been friends with them since you've been 5 years old?
1: Yeah, preschool.
0: Okay. Um and are they you know kind of living on the other side a little bit?
1: I mean, to an extent, you know. Okay. Maybe it's not every time we hang out we're getting, you know, loaded. It's just uh more likely But uh, how do I maintain this relationship, you know, this friendship without, uh, you know, how do I keep this friendship without relapsing? That's what I'm asking.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's so simple, it's very hard. Yeah. The simple part is where you are at in terms of your commitment to your recovery. If your commitment is rock solid, then n- there's no person or environment that can impact you. That should be a breeze. Okay, the only way that you could slip, relapse, is via you making a conscious decision to do that. Right. So let's put that off to the side. Let's say that's covered. You're straight with where you're going and what you're doing. As a part of that process, you have developed boundaries for yourself, things that you say that I'm not going to accept, I'm not going to participate in, I'm not going to allow in my personal environment. So this circle of friends that you've had for 20-something years and that you've known for a long time some of them may drink, and they may drink too much on occasion. Some of them may smoke weed. Some of them may do this or that, okay? And I'm not a person that says that just by virtue of you getting your life together that you have to excommunicate those friendships. I don't say that. What I say is is that you have to have the ability to make it clear what your boundaries are within that the, the new paradigm of that friendship. Okay. So, for example, when they're deciding that they're getting ready, I'm just making this up, I have no idea, okay,
3: yeah, so that
0: they're getting ready to go and do some cocaine, that you have the strength and your commitment that you could say, okay, guys, I'm heading home, I'll see you guys later. Because you're not a part of that world anymore. Doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. Doesn't mean you can't talk to them. Doesn't mean you guys can't go to the to, to the to the movies. You guys can't go to the club. You guys can't go to you know whatever, okay, etc. 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 You have to establish what your boundaries are, and then here's the key because this is the part people leave off, okay, or forget. You establish your boundaries, and then you must be willing to enforce them. Yeah, no. that's the part people leave off. They 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 state what their boundaries are, but when it comes time to enforce them, they don't enforce them, and so they start to slowly allow and accept things to happen and go on around them and in their personal environment. Next thing you know, people are smoking crack in your apartment.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah, it's so simple. You're right. Very simple answer. Guess I made it out to be more than it should have been not me.
0: It's a valid question. It's a real-life question because that's what people face. You know, they, you know you're, you're going to be you, – you have these relationships. You're going to be in a different space in terms of where you're, where you're going and where you're heading with your life. They may not be, okay? So how do I now navigate this relationship? It's possible, it's not impossible, it's possible, but you have to be the driver and put yourself first. And, and, here's the key, another key. If they respect your position, okay, then you know, then you know that you have the real deal. Yeah. If they say, you know what, I can respect that no problem, we still love you, okay? And they go about their business and there's no hard feelings and they got it, they understand it, that you know what? You got to do what you got to do for yourself. But if it, if they respond the opposite way or certain individuals in your circle respond the opposite way, well, what are you saying? What are you saying this Sean? Are you saying that you're better than us? That you're now too good to associate and hang with us? Well, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that i don't I don't participate in that anymore, so if you guys are getting ready to go do that, no problem, go do that. I will speak to you guys tomorrow.
1: yeah, well put
0: so you gotta go in eyes wide open and be prepared for whichever direction that it may go.
1: yeah, good advice, thank you.
0: You're very welcome and by the way, Sean. Everybody goes through that. I went through it with my friends. Mr. Producer, I'm sure, went through it with his friends. Everybody goes through it. So you're not alone. Good to know. All right.
1: All right, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.
1: Bye.
5: Real stuff. Absolutely. Fair question. <clears throat> not easy. Nope. Not easy. Never an easy task dealing with. It's basically family at that point. Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to, like you said, set boundaries, cope, coexist.
0: And and you would you mentioned the word family. You would have to do the same with blood family also. That's right. Because not all you know. We have members of our family that may not be doing the right thing, and yeah. they're still family. But it doesn't mean that you're going to be you know hanging with them and, and doing you know the whole nine right. yards. You set your boundaries and enforce them.
5: That's
7: right.
0: All right, let's go to uh, Linda from Santa Rosa. Welcome. Hello. Hi. How are
7: you? Hi. Um, my question is, um, how do I set healthy boundaries with a parent who's still heavy in their addiction?
0: Kind of similar to what uh, the answer I just gave our previous caller. Yeah. Um, yeah. You set, You you establish... What the boundaries are going to be, mm-hmm. and then you do the hard part, which is enforce them.
7: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely um, the struggle that I've had uh, my whole life is setting them and then sticking to it without uh, all the guilt getting to me.
3: Okay,
0: so
7: <laughs>
0: we 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 have a saying that can help you with the guilt. But Mm -hmm. the saying is kind of, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, Blunt? Blunt. To the point.
3: um,
0: (laughs) What what is it when, uh, especially we have a female caller, so it might be uh, crude, crude, even, crass, (laughs) crass, even. So do you want to hear it, ma'am? Yes. So if your guilt, your feelings of guilt, are impacting your ability to consistently enforce the boundaries that you have established and set up, Mm -hmm. what you have to do is take those feelings of guilt and Mm -hmm. stuff them up your ass, (laughs) okay, and do what you got to do in your best interest.
7: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, now, uh, you know... The nice way we
0: used to say it is put it in your back pocket, but it doesn't have the same effect.
7: Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Well, I just find, I've found, you know, in my early recovery that I just had to cut, cut off communication because it was just too much for me to handle. But I'd like mm-hmm. to have, you know, some sort of relationship with my mother eventually. But mm-hmm. when I do come in contact with her or talk to her and I know that she's, you know, under the influence it, mm-hmm. um it affects me. And Mm -hmm. so I hope to get to the point where it doesn't But I'm just not sure how to even start You know, just with little baby steps, I guess Um, You know, and then It's a a difficult position to be in Because I want to be a part of my mother's life But at the same time, I don't want it to affect my life In a negative way
0: Right, so you are the most important person in the world Um, It's natural to want to have... The relationship with your mom mm-hmm. um, Unfortunately You don't control Whether or not that happens or not It requires yeah. the other party It requires two yeah. people To have a relationship mm-hmm. um, And what we don't want Is we could say It requires two people to have a relationship Whether that relationship is going to be good, bad or ugly Well we don't want ugly And we don't want mm-hmm. bad We want good And Definitely. if the things that are needed and required for it to be good aren't present, then you have to take care of yourself first. You yeah. have to be selfish.
7: Yeah, and that's okay, a difficult and, thing.
0: And, and you have to be selfish and be okay with it.
7: hmm Yeah, well, all the codependency issues and everything, I guess, you know, I'm learning all about that now, so it's getting easier. But, okay, you know, it's, good. It's, it's been such a codependent relationship my whole life. It's, you know, I'm at an age where now I have a young daughter, and I don't want to carry that over exactly into my relationship with her. Right. So, yeah. Well, oh, yeah, you got out. A... That was it. Thank you.
0: No, you're very welcome. All you're right. very welcome. All right. All bye-bye. Right. Good night. What I was going to say to her was that you you just got to uh, – it's hard. It is hard. But you got to you gotta put yourself first. Oh, yeah. You have to put yourself first.
5: And actually – And
0: when especially when she added at the end that she has a daughter of her own now. Yeah. It's even more important that she puts herself first.
5: Right. And, you know, and this is not to discount, obviously, when dealing with family or people close, it's a difficult situation one way or the other. But I think when setting boundaries with a parent, um, you're actually maybe in a less compromising situation than you would be maybe setting boundaries with, like, friends you've yeah. grown up with yeah. forever because the dynamic is completely different. Mm-hmm. As a parent, you can almost set these expectations like this is just what it is and what it needs to be, mm-hmm. and it, the responsibility needs to fall on the parent's court. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the difficulty would be if that doesn't happen you want a relationship with your family and, you know, it's not, you know, maybe you're not getting what you want necessarily because mom or dad isn't willing to comply or is struggling with being okay with those boundaries Mm -hmm. that are set. But, you know, with friends or even your own kids, the role is reversed a little bit. Yep.
0: All right, let's go to Michael from Redwood City. Welcome, Michael.
2: Hi, how are you doing? Good. So the question I have is, um, me being in a uh, treatment facility, um, having a roommate who I believe is under the influence of illegal drugs, and when brought to brought up to the attention, the he's p tested and comes clean. Um, how do you deal with
5: Michael? Uh, we need you to speak up a little bit because we can't we couldn't really hear you. I don't know if you're on speakerphone or if you can pick up the phone or turn up the volume, but couldn't really hear you coming through there if you could repeat that for us
2: can you hear me now a little a little better yeah okay so uh, my question was being in a treatment facility where i have a roommate that is um i highly suspect that he's on um illegal drugs and is using um but um when p tested he passes his p tests but he's still showing um really erratic behaviors that are um you know kind of a Worrisome. How do I uh, deal with that? I mean, even when it's been brought to staff and that, you know, he's been detested but he's still um, coming up clean, what do I do for myself to make it um, safe for me and that I'm not affected by this?
0: What this is is an opportunity for you to practice where you actually want to be in your recovery process. So right within your right in your personal environment is a person that you suspect is using. Okay? Yes. And now let's just project out into the future as you are You know, you're 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 down the road in your recovery experience. You know, you're not in the program anymore, et cetera. And you find yourself in a similar situation or environment. uh, How am I going to handle that? How is how is how am I going to not let that impact what I do, the decisions I make, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's an opportunity for you to practice because ultimately. Ultimately, let's say this person is just doing a masterful job of fooling everybody and so on and so forth. And even though, you know, he might be showing signs, you know, uh, uh, it's manifesting in other ways. But he's doing a great job of fooling everyone when he's actually just fooling himself. Yeah. The question is that you ask is, well, how do I deal with that so it doesn't impact me? So let me just flip the question around a little bit. And saying, how is it impacting you right now as we speak?
6: What it, impacts us uh, is having.
2: Well, what it what it does, how it impacts me is it impacts me in a way that I'm kind of uh, I'm just worried about my environment and how the person acts, not so much as the 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 actual you know him using or being under influence, but. When somebody is under the influence and using kind of uh, unpredictability and what will they do? So it's kind of like sleeping with one eye open type.
0: Okay, I got you. I got you. So you're worried about the safety. The safety. Yeah. Okay. So are there others, other family members who feel the same way or are not picking up the same vibe that you are?
2: Yeah, pretty much everybody.
0: Oh, okay. And is the family putting pressure on this individual? Uh, No. Why not? I don't know. That's what must happen. See, the family must put pressure on this individual to either conform... Or they have to make a decision that, hey, this is not the place for me because they're not going to accept me being here under the influence. The family must do that. Okay. And this is what I meant about, about the practice part. That you have to practice not accepting certain things. And if yeah. the family is aware, if you are aware of it and other family members are aware of it, but nobody is quote-unquote doing anything then they're just accepting and allowing it.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Family has to put pressure.
2: Okay.
5: The The amount of pressure applied by the family is a sign of how much you guys actually care. You guys live there. So as long as you're living somewhere and someone is bringing something into your house that you have no tolerance for, the sign of that no tolerance is shown by what kind of proactive things are you doing to rectify the situation? Relying on a urine analysis to come back dirty is foolish. Every addict in the book knows how to pass a urine analysis. That, yeah. that, really, that really doesn't mean much of anything. However, as easily as I could pass a urine analysis because I've got my methods of being sneaky – It's another thing to look four or five people who I live with in the face while they're confronting me about my behavior. While they're, uh, if there's groups where you are, while, while there's focus and attention on me in groups, and I've got five or six people coming at me every single day about this, that says two things. One, those folks who are applying that kind of pressure care enough to say something about it because they don't want it in their house. And B, that type of pressure, no one who was under the influence wants to deal with that day in and day out. So really, we put that individual in a position to make one of two decisions. I either need to come clean and then ask for help to stop what it is I'm doing, or I need to pack my stuff and go elsewhere where I can use in peace. Because there's no way someone can be under the influence in a residential program and feel comfortable enough to sleep there and wake up there and eat meals there, because if that's the case, then the people who live with this individual are not doing their job.
2: Okay. That it makes sense. It does. Okay. All right. Well, thank you.
0: Well, I'll, wait, 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 wait. One second, Michael.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: We're going to want an update a couple of weeks from now. Our next show is on the, uh, what is that, the 12th? Sir, is that the twelve?
5: Uh okay. next show is going to be yes, April twelfth. We'd like an update. Okay.
0: From you as far as what you know how this situation has, you know, unfolded. Unfolded. Okay. All right.
2: I will I will I will put forth the effort to having the pressure put on. I will do that. Okay. Okay. All I right. thank you for your advice and um you guys have a good night.
0: Okay, you're welcome and thank you.
2: All
0: right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yes, yeah, so, I mean that was well stated. If they're going to allow <laughs> allow him to be there uh, yeah. in that state, you can't complain. You got to do something.
5: Yeah, you do. You do as much as you care to. Mm-hmm. I. They're they're definitely the the living situation. Um, unless he's the Don. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. The the living situation is created by those who live in it. So, And what if, they accept. If there is somebody to their best guess using in the house, but this individual never hears about it from anybody, has an occasional UA dropped on him by staff, and can go to meals and eat and go to sleep and wake up and there's no issue being brought to the forefront, then yeah, that that is that is a result of the system in place. Because if individuals say, uh, now wait a second, we're all in here to do one thing and this individual's coming back like this, there there's no such thing as somebody actively using in treatment mm-hmm. that feels comfortable doing exactly. so exactly.
0: It'd be breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it, snack time. I don't. Yeah,
5: and if you can come mm. home and dinner in seconds, and uh, go to bed and wake up without it ever being brought to your doorstep, then uh, that's actually no fault of your own. Why? Why stop? But yeah.
0: And the fact that he says other family members know about it, I mean, that, that would be you. I mean, yeah. I, I would be making appointments to your, your table every meal. Yeah. To confront you about this. Right. So, all right, let's go to uh, some X-Files. How are we doing on time, sir?
5: Oh, we're good on time. We got about uh, 12 minutes or so.
0: All right, because last time, last show, you you just like.
5: Dropped the hammer dropped on you. the
0: hammer on I me, mean, like mid-sentence.
5: All right, well, I might do that again, but okay. you got about 12 minutes or so.
0: Okay. Uh, Let's see, who do we want here? We got. Charles from Redwood City, what are the unique needs of adolescents with substance abuse disorders? I have always said, and we, for 26 years, OCG served adolescents. We had a residential treatment facility for adolescents. And I summed up, or I will sum up their unique needs in in a couple of sentences. We can help adolescents with their substance abuse problems, but we cannot help them with their adolescence. And so when you have that dynamic in play, it is one of the most difficult populations to work with because you're working with someone who not only has drug problems, but they also have the problems that are normally associated with adolescents, puberty and just growing and testosterone and hormones and, and the whole nine yards. And so, and there's no cure for that. They just have to live through it, deal with it, and, you know, survive it. So if you put on top of that, that they have a drug problem, it, it's, you can imagine what it's like having a treatment program for, for adolescents based on that. You have to be able to decipher whether or not, is this drug-induced behavior or just normal teenage stuff? Mm -hmm. So you're constantly walking that line and dealing with behavior, 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 and deciphering whether or not this is something related to their drug use or just related to them being 14, 15, 16, 17, and Mm 18-year-olds. So that that makes them very difficult. I don't know if you heard the question. It was about what are the unique needs of adolescents with substance abuse dis- disorders? You should be an expert on that.
5: Yeah. Well, I'm actually, uh, unbeknownst to the host, over the past year, been devising some sort of mathematical equation to come up with a finite number of years that have been taken off my life having to deal with adolescents for uh, eight to ten years of my career. Yes. Yeah. And. Um, you know, perhaps look for compensation from the program I worked for to try and recop those years back in Work, some sort of comp. <laughs> some, some sort of financial manner. Okay, good luck with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd be interesting in hearing the mathematical equation, though. Uh let's see. What else we got? No name on this one. Anonymous, Anonymous. I'm in long-term recovery for about five years now, and I can't seem to find new friends to go with me to functions or places without alcohol. What would you suggest?:
5: Long-term recovery for five years, What does that mean? He's been he or she or whomever has been in a program? For no five No, years? no, but just you know, they've been in, in their recovery experience for five years. Here for five years. They now. are self-defining that as long-term. It's not like because they use the term long-term. I guess for,
0: for them, you know, being clean okay. for five years Just, is long-term. That's long-term. Long term. Okay. Yeah. Um, my, my answer for that is short and sweet. Uh, go by yourself. Yeah. To wh- whatever it is that you enjoy doing. And if you can't find people that are in the same page as you in terms of sobriety, what have you, and that's what you want, go by yourself. And you might meet people who are on the same page. Who knows?
5: Who knows? It's also very possible if you make the choice to go by yourself that some of these friends who have refused to go without drinking might see that you take it seriously and say, hey, you know what? If it means that much to you, I'll go without drinking. There you go. I'm
0: willing to go. Um, Looking through the X-Files here. What treatment do you think works best for recovery? Any Any treatment works best. Only time will tell what's specifically effective for you, the individual. But as long as you get into any type of treatment, that's all we care about. James from San Luis Obispo. I am early in my treatment experience. And life seems worse than it was when I was out.
5: Oh man, I've got—I mean, I've got the cold response to that. Well, let's hear the cold response. Go back out. Get, pack your stuff. Go back out to using. Best of luck to you. See where that gets you. That's just what that's, I want to say. That's—that's that's, <laughs> that's just what I want. I temper that. I, I never actually deliver that, but that's what I want to say.
0: That's why Morales. Uh, <laughs> Recovery services never took off. <laughs>
5: that's <laughs> exactly right. Um, that yeah, gets worse before it gets better.
0: That's how it is early in the treatment experience.
5: Yep.
0: You know, you're coming down
5: a off
0: of w- whatever, whatever you've been, yeah. you've been doing. Um, so you're going to be smacked with all of the stuff you feelings you've been medicating, and you're not. It's not going to feel good. And at times, it's going to feel overwhelming. You've heard other people talk about it and mention yeah. it and state it. Um, so You're going
5: to be asked to deal with things that you've intentionally avoided exactly. up to this point. Exactly. Stuff that's going to hurt.
0: Which brings me to, before we get to the phones, to Ralph from Ukiah. Going back to jail seems easier than recovery. It is. It is, very, it is much easier. And we've said that many times over the years. It's easier to be in prison than to be an OCG. Any,
5: yeah, anyone can do time. Doing time—that's one, one thing you hear clients say, and it's funny because they'll almost bring it up as a point to like try and engage in some sort of power struggle. Mm-hmm. But you'll never get an argument from an experienced counselor when they say, "Oh, you know, I'd rather do the time, or I could do the time easily." It's like, yeah, you're right. Of course, mm-hmm. doing, you can sleep through time, mm-hmm. but you will be challenged here. Mm-hmm. And that is the whole deal with recovery. All right, let's go to uh,
0: Danny from Belmont. Welcome. How you doing? Good.
6: I guess my question would evolve around the disease and the addiction, and I. Um, have a hard time understanding that how can you chase after something how can you run after something and and consider it uh, to, to be a disease when you're the perpetrator when you're 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 the one that's going for it you're the one that's attacking it so to speak you're you're the one that's engaging and then you're gonna and then then have it being called a disease when you have an adverse reaction to it it's kind of to me uh, it's, it's a kind of a backwards thinking process there because it's not like it's coming to you or you it, it came on to you or it was you were born with it it's something that that you actually ran t- to get or you initiated a process to be able to, to be able to be affected by it and you know that's What it is hard for me to understand to 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 consider that a disease, which I believe is something that you have that that you you rarely overcome, and that you you would have a hard time uh, dealing with it by uh, having other medications to 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 combat it. So so the whole disease, the idea of it is to me it's it's a, it's a, a little awkward. Okay. If you will.
0: All right. Well, let, let me first let you know a couple of things. Number one, we actually you submitted your question in writing, and we actually spoke on it earlier. So it's it, you know if, if you play the if you pay the lottery, you should pay it today because now you're calling and asking your question. So we'll just talk about how, how are we doing on time, sir. We're good. Okay. So. We have enough time to wrap up with with him. Just let yeah, him do the last call. Absolutely, okay. we got about five. Okay, so one of the things that we said in regards to the question that you raised was, well, first thing we said is that we, we didn't know if you were asking a question or just making a declarative statement. But then we looked at your, what you wrote and we said, okay, the initial, the, the first part of what you stated was actually a question about. Um, Let's see if I can find it real quick uh, What is the absolute proof That addiction is a disease okay. Okay. okay And so Our answer to that was We don't know And it doesn't really matter The only thing that has been Empirically proven and studied To date as That is a disease in terms of Substance abuse is alcoholism all the others, whether it's cocaine, whether it's methamphetamine or barbiturates or hallucinogenics, they're kind of getting close to just, I'm just talking medically, you know, the medical establishment, you know, determining that they, they can also be fall into the category of disease. We don't care either way what they call it. It makes no difference to us And it makes no difference to us What the addict themselves Believe it is So if someone believes Well, I have a disease Or if someone doesn't believe they have a disease To us it's irrelevant, either way What we care about is What are you going to do To change your attitude Your behavior, your life circumstance Etc
6: Well, well then wouldn't it be you said it doesn't make a difference, wouldn't it in reference to trying to beat it or, or to, to combat it or, or, or to try to deal with it wouldn't it make, wouldn't it be a difference if it were a disease and or if it were something else?
0: Only in that person's mind. So for example, if someone believed that what they had was a disease, they they might then use it as like a fallback position and say, well, I have a disease, so, you know, this means that, you know, it's not curable or it might be curable or it might go into remission or, you know, so they might use it in a negative way as like an out position or a fallback position. And what we say and what we're saying is that whether you, not you specifically, but if someone says, well, I have a disease, you know, and so, you know, this is why, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. What we're saying is, well, we don't care if that's what you believe that's fine. you believe you have a disease. What we care about is okay, you have a disease. What are you going to do about it
6: and, and I understand that and I would assume that there were different stra- i'm just, saying, just 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 as an example that there would be different strategies to use if a person would Believed that it was disease, or if he believed it was something else,
0: just meant it. It would just be mental jujitsu. That's all. Well, so speaking for, of for, a, for the alcoholic, for the alcoholic, treatment-wise, we would do something different because we know the alcoholic can die from their withdrawals if they've been, a, you know, a serious, severe alcoholic. Okay. So what we would do treatment-wise would be different. But in terms of the mental aspect of addiction and verbally talking about it and and what a person's attitude is about it and and what they believe about their addiction, whether they believe it's a behavioral issue, a disease issue, or whatever the case may be, they can state what it is from their perspective. We then will then meet them where they're at. And take it from there. That's what I mean by when we say it doesn't matter to us if they believe it's a disease or they don't believe it's a disease. Either way, we're still going to have the same questions. What are you going to do?
6: But <laughs> it it is as if that doesn't adhere to the alcoholic. No, what's making so it, flies, after it after to the alcoholic
0: too? It applies okay. to the alcoholic too.
6: Okay, okay, okay. Uh, that's, that's what I'm really getting at. It, then if it applies to the alcoholic, it's more of a matter of choice than it is anything else.
0: You mean what they what they choose to believe, whether it's a disease or not,
6: and what they choose to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just stick with the belief side, and I'll speak to the do side. The, the belief side. Who knows where that may come from? They may be reading some information. They, you know, who knows. And we're not going to get into a, a power struggle discussion with them about whether or not it is or it isn't. It doesn't matter, ultimately. You believe it's a disease? Fine. I'll meet you right there. The do factor is still the same. What's your attitude about your addiction? What's your, what are the behaviors you have to work on? What are the issues you have to deal with? None of that changes.
6: Okay. Okay, what okay, what there is to do. I'm just uh, as far as a mindset is concerned, where they're believing that something's incurable as a disease, then I see a problem with that because now they're they're of a belief that there is no cure, and this is what they've been afflicted with this, and this is something they, they uh, apparently can't overcome
0: well, we would get what we would do is you know if if that's their mindset again, we wouldn't spend a lot of time getting into the power struggle over the belief system of whether or not they believe they can be cured or or whatever et cetera. We would still want to know what are you going to do to change your attitude, change your behavior, improve your improve your lifestyle, do things that are positive and constructive rather than negative and destructive. Ultimately, okay. it will always come back to that. My producer is giving me hand signs. Okay. But you asked an excellent question that caused a lot of discussion.
5: Okay. All right, sir? Yeah,
6: okay. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
5: That's it. It's time to go. There's not even time for you to add your two cents here. But we will be back on the air April 12th, another week off. Yep. So, again, we encourage folks who do like to listen weekly next week to tap into the archives and maybe pull up an episode you haven't heard yet or maybe one you like so much you want to hear it again. Uh, with that, we hope that everybody has a safe couple of weeks and some good weekends We thank everybody for the ongoing support, everyone who calls in to listen, as well as the participants, and we look forward to talking to you all on the 12th. And no go
6: for the Warriors.
3: Ooh, that's why I'm mean.
4: Our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on BlogtalkRadio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash OCG And on Twitter at OCG you can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio...
6: Okay, round two. Name
0: something that's not boring.
1: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, Huh?